You are listening to a Hillbilly Horror Stories classic episode. This podcast is part of the Podbelly Network. Please visit podbelly.com to see a complete listing of all of our other shows. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mixing just a little bit of twain. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries, eh? Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host. Jerry and Tracy Pauly, and their dog Ninja. Alright, welcome everybody to episode 59 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. We are excited uh, to give you a show we got. My name's Jerry, and of course I'm joined as usual by my lovely wife Tracy. Hello, out there my peeps. This has the potential to be a show that people listen to that normally wouldn't listen. And the reason I say that is... It's going to be a little bit different, uh, and I'll, I'll start off by saying that we have redone this show. We recorded this the other day, and then I decided that it was too different from what we usually do, so we went, decided to come back, re-record, and go back to the basics. So what you guys are going to get tonight is a typical story like we normally do, but then what we're going to do is what I'm most excited about is I've been posting videos all week long of McCamey Manor. Most of you know about McCamey or, or have heard of it of some sort. It's the extreme haunted house that was out in San Diego forever. And there's videos plastered all over the place. There's all kinds of controversy because people saying it's legal torture. And um, a bunch of people saying they were hurt there. You have to sign a 40-page waiver. All kinds of stuff going on. And we're going to get into that in more detail later. But... The owner of, of McCamey Manor, Russ McCamey, has agreed to come on the show and give me an interview. And we've got about an hour and 10 minute long interview of him explaining himself completely. And I asked him some hard questions. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. This wouldn't a love fest, uh, which I am a big fan of the guy. So I'm not going to lie about that. But I did ask him the questions that I think most of you would want to know. So I, I think that's, uh, that's going to be fun for you guys. Now to counter that. If you've watched some of the videos, there was a young lady by the name of Christina Buster, and she has, uh, at the time, she was the oldest contestant to ever go through McCamey. She had been through the most of anybody at three times and had flown 19 hours from Kuwait, where she was uh, working, um, not in the military, but like a, a, a contractor over there for the government. And she flew 19 hours from Kuwait over to do this. Uh, that's how big she was into it. And she's kind of the most famous of all the contestants. So there's a bunch of videos of her out there. I got an interview with her so you can see both sides. What is it like from somebody? What what goes through their mind to want to go through one of these places that's so intense that they can't make it through? And that's the deal with McCamey. It's been around for since 1989. Nobody has ever made it through. Think about that. Yeah, that's crazy. At one time, they had a waiting list of 27,000 people. Oh my god! Trying to get into this, so yeah, I think you guys are going to find this fascinating. And originally, that's all we were going to do. We were we were going to talk about it for a few minutes, like we did now, and then just do that. But uh, the more we thought about it, we we want to keep the show as close to uh, original as possible. So we decided to give you a cool ass story in the beginning, which we will get into in a second. But first and foremost, 
as always, thanks to all of our military and civil servants all over the world. Uh, and of course, just like it seems like every week, something else has come up that needs um, special thoughts and prayers. And this week, it's the earthquake in Mexico. Yeah, this Mother Nature needs to quit tripping or something. It needs to happen because we've had enough of it. Yeah, we didn't even think we were going to be doing this show because supposedly the end of the world was supposed to be the 23rd yeah. or whatever it was last night uh, at 8 o'clock, and that didn't happen. So Yeah, I'm glad that didn't happen because we would have been mad. We were trying to watch the Florida-Kentucky game. Which, well, seeing how it ended, Yeah, I'm not it was so kind of the end of the world happen. for us. <laughs> <laughs> but we want to uh, recognize our iTunes um, subscribers, or not subscribers, but reviewers, uh, as we like to do. And once again, guys... This is the absolute cheapest way you can support the show. For those of you who are un, unaware of how iTunes reviews work, and it's tough, it's tough as hell if you got an Android. I'm not going to lie to you. But if you have an iPhone and, and we see the stats, most of you guys listen on iPhones. If you've got an iPhone, all you got to do is go to your podcast app, click on our show, hit review and leave a review. Now, what that does for us is. That's how iTunes does the rankings. And the more reviews, the more subscriptions you get, then your rankings go up, which means you get listed on the page of top 40, top 50. Uh, they all, they go all the way up to 200, but most people look at top 40, top 50 when they're wanting to see, say, paranormal shows and they'll look at them. And then when they see one that's up high, that makes them check it out. So that's how it helps us out. And that's why you'll hear so many shows. Uh, asking and begging for these iTunes reviews. And we're no different. That's what's going to help us get to where we would love to be at some point. Yeah. So here's who helped us out this week. H. Hanscom, 79. Rose Pettit. Lindsay in Oklahoma. Scream Cam. One of my favorites. Balls Deep in Love. <laughs> and Diana Lynn, 67. Nice. The other way you can help the show out, which we help you out in return by giving you some bonus episodes, is through Patreon. Uh, you actually do pay a little bit for that, anywhere from $1 to $10, but you get extras, chance to win t-shirts, discounts, um, stuff like that, and two bonus episodes a month, depending on what level you're at. And the people we had signed up this week, Justin Rimmel, thanks to Justin from Thank Mysterious you, Justin. Uh, Circumstances. We've heard Justin on the show telling the Rain Man story. Brett Swenson, Julie Brown, and Anna Kenyon. Thank, Thank you, you for guys. signing up this week. We greatly appreciate Thank it. Thank you so much. Love ya. So... The story that I want to get into, this is something that um, I, I kind of stumbled across. It's an awesome story. I had never heard of it, and I, and there's not a whole lot of information out there, so it took a lot of uh, digging to get the little bit that I actually have. But I think most of you are going to really like this story. So, And I know uh, a lot of you really like the stories that nobody's ever heard of, so this will be a treat for everybody. Good. And Tracy, I know you've never heard of it. Never. Not even a little bit. Even most of the ones that I could say Bigfoot, you probably hadn't heard of it. I have heard of that. But unlike that, I didn't know I was going to do a different show tonight either. So see, <laughs> I'm, I'm keeping on track. I ain't messing up. All right. So here's what we got. We're going to tell you about the Manila Film House. Now, this obviously is in the Manila, uh, Manila in the Philippines. Okay. And this goes back to 1981. Imelda Marcos, who was uh, um, uh, the president at the time, this was his wife. Okay. And she was kind of known. If, if Some of you will know if you're old enough. The younger ones won't. But she was blasted at one point in time because the Philippines back in the day, they were almost ran kind of like Cuba. It was kind of like a communist type um, a situation where Marcos was the president. Him and his wife were kind of like dictators, more or less. And they just... 
were known for their lavish lifestyle where mm-hmm. everybody underneath of them just kind of suffered. Aww. Yeah. And she was, there was a big story that came out with her. Man, I want to say it's probably 20 years now mm-hmm. about her shoe collection. Mm. She had so many shoes. So many people in her country were poor and starving and nothing. And she had this shoe collection that was just like out of this world. So shameful. This is where this is really going to come in to her attitude and her um, cockiness, we'll say. In 1981, Amelda Markov decided that she wanted to have a state-of-the-art theater to have a film festival. She wanted to, you always hear about the Cannes Film Festival mm-hmm. and the one in Venice. She wanted something that would rival that. So that was her big deal. So she gave a budget of $25 million to build this huge-ass Parthenon type, uh, you know, the Parthenon over in ancient Greece and, yeah. and all that. She wanted to build something similar looking to that that they could hold these events in. $25 million was the budget. The problem was she gave a very unrealistic deadline of having this thing done in a year. Oh, gosh. And that's not just, that's not the construction. That is the planning, the the getting everything laid out the way it was, setting up the um, the film festival. So she sets this film festival to be in January of the next year. Oh, my gosh. When it opened in 1982, stars such as Brooke Shields, who was huge at the time, Jeremy Irons, uh, you had Robert Duvall and George Hamilton were all there on the red carpet. The red carpet was on still slightly wet cement. That's oh how close. That's how close this this was to to barely beating the deadline. But there was more under the red carpet than wet cement. Oh, and that's what this story is going to be based off of. The tight construction deadline, which obviously January 1982 was the start of construction date, had just started construction like three months before that. Wait, what? Three months. It took three months from starting to finish a building the project. So it took seven months or uh, nine months to do all the planning and getting everything together. Now that is insane. Well, here's the deal. To get it done in that time, it required 4,000 workers working 24 hours a day on three shifts. Now, normally, it would take about six weeks to complete the lobby. A thousand workers did it in three days. Dang. (laughs) That's very impressive. Witnesses said it was like watching a a building full of cats. It was rush, rush, rush all over the place. Now, it had to be open, obviously, for that grand opening because Amelda wasn't going to change the the date, and she had already set the date a year in advance, and it wasn't, you know, she wasn't mm-hmm. about to change it. Once again, this is her cockiness and her attitude. Mm-hmm. At 3 o'clock in the morning on November 17, 1981, two months before it was scheduled to open, tragedy struck. Oh, how many months? Two months. Two before months? It was supposed to open. So they'd only been working on this for about a month at that time. Oh, okay. A scaffolding collapsed with approximately 169 workers. They fell into freshly poured, <gasps> quick-drying cement. No. Some completely drowned. Oh, my Lord. Some were half buried. (gasps) But were they dead? I'm I'm, sorry. I'm getting to it. I'm sorry. Mabel. The quick dry cement was supposed to be put out like layer, like a a thin layer, let it dry, another layer. That's how it's supposed to be done. It's layer by layer. But because of the rush they were in, they poured it full all the way at once. Okay. Well, that's dumb because it's never going to get dry. Well, that's the whole point. And it did get dry, but just had people in it when it did. So Amelga Marcos took the she took all these measures to keep the press away when this happened. Once again, this is how she done stuff. There were no official rescue teams even allowed on the site 
until nine hours after the incident. Think about that. What is wrong with her? They just had regular people in there. They went and got, uh, put in a request to get some jackhammers. Jackhammers. So think about what they were having to do. Oh, no. They were going to have to jackhammer people <gasps> out of the cement because they were already dried in. They said that um, by the time the emergency crews left or were let in, the concrete had already hardened. So there was 160-something people in 160 there? 160-something people. Well, not all of them, but the scaffolding had 160-something people that actually fell. Not all oh, of them were, were stuck in there. Oh, God. That's horrible. And I, I know one of the young ladies who was actually, we'll talk about in, in here in just a little bit, she said that she could actually see one of the guys that was half sticking out. Oh and he gosh. was like basically in a state of shock as to what, what, what would happen. And so they just left him there and he died too. Well, so what, hap- what happened to the, to the ones that were half stuck out of the concrete? <laughs> Millahorn who is marketing head of the uh, Mandela International Film Festival, said that the people that were sticking out of the concrete, they just cut off what was sticking out. (gasps) They then poured over the top of anyone who was buried in the concrete. God, you're kidding me. No. And Mary Ann, who was actually an usher when this thing opened up, she said that the story out there was there were construction workers that were still alive still alive when they poured this concrete but because they they weren't rescued because they were already behind and it was crunch time so was the guys they weren't still alive when they cut the rest of them off or i I don't know i'm just telling you what she said so so they didn't have time to rescue anybody so they just poured concrete over top oh my that evil beyond they were in crunch time that is so terrible she said that she would be backstage and the walls had cracks in them and you could smell a stench. Oh my gosh! Coming from the cracks, she said that like they wore these uniforms that were really thin satin. Yeah. And she said the smell from inside there would actually get on the shirts, and you could feel like a strange breeze blow, even though there was no kind of wind or anything in the place. Well, we need to we need to put her in a damn cement. Well, she's dead, so oh. she's been dead for a while. <laughs> well, somebody needed to do that back then. Yeah. How terrible! Her husband was Ferdinand Marcos, who was the actual president, but she was just the yeah. wife. So it's kind of like, you know, the first lady or something. That's the most horrible story ever. <laughs> Even more horrible than... No, not more horrible <laughs> than that, but <laughs> that's a sick woman. So Ugh. these ho- these haunting stories kind of started circulating around and it, it kind of drew uh, the film center authorities to resort to all kinds of rituals to, I guess, pacify the the angered ghosts and the spirits that were that were the abandoned workers who were unceremoniously, I guess, kind of entombed uh, into place because they had no intentions on being, you know, just kind of filled in with concrete, becoming part of the structure. Okay, so nobody, even after that grand opening, nobody knew it? No, I think people knew, but once again, you live in a society here to where... They were the government. They were the law, so they do whatever they want. I, I heard a story. This just give you an example of places that's it's off the beat. But I used to work with a guy twenty some years ago in Haiti. Uh, well, he 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 was from Haiti, and his family was rich. And he told used to tell us stories about the people who had money just got away literally with murder. He said his dad one time was driving down the street, and he hit a guy. Mm-hmm. 
and the guy flopped up on his windshield. Mm-hmm. And he just drove the guy still on his windshield to the hospital and the guy died and there was like no repercussions because he had money. Wow. And in the Philippines and in the early eighties, I mean, you're looking in the same type of situation, especially with the people who run the country. They're going to be able to do whatever the hell they want. That's, I wish I could hug every one of those people in the daggone concrete. Well, you would get concrete on you. I don't care. That's so mean. So Mila that we talked about earlier, she said that they had exorcism rights. They had pagan rights. They killed a pig. They killed a chicken. Uh, they had entrails of a pig. They had a Catholic rite and a Chinese rite. These were all these different exorcism type things that they did to try to mm. fix the problem. Now, after every rite, the officers would be given something to kind of like an object to ward off the evil. One of those things was a rice cone, um, an anting anting, which is like a, um, a Filipino charm or amulet. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Chinese right had letters that were in envelopes mm-hmm. uh, that they gave out. And on Inauguration Day, they did an exorcism at 5 a.m. in the morning. Wow. These very old, um, I'm probably going to pronounce this wrong, but they were Igorols, mm-hmm. which um, they are basically mountain people of the Luzon, which right there in the Philippines, that's what they call them, Igorols. But they were heavily tattooed and stuff. They were in there doing stuff. They had been killing animals and cooking them in pots all week long. It was like that uh, that they had read the intros of these animals to see what the spirits were saying. And they said they had talked to the spirits. And the reason that they were still there was because everything had happened so quick. Wait a minute. What are intros? Intros. Animal intros. Like intestines and... Oh, they're innards? Innards. When you say innards, I would have understood you. Yeah, because 99% of whoever's listening wouldn't have understood. Oh. They said uh, that the... So the, the mediums and the uh, Igoros told them that they were no longer with us, that they were dead. Mm-hmm. That's how they were trying to communicate with the spirit. Now, nothing really fixed this problem, obviously. Various ghostly um, uh, activities started to happen. Uh, They started having mysterious sounds, voices, poltergeist-type activities going on. And in the late 90s, a group called Spirit Questers, they actually began to make visits to the uh, um, try to contact the people who were killed during the construction. Mm -hmm. Some of the spirits claimed to have moved on, but a few allegedly remained. And this is what they had said, the uh, people from Spirit Questers. The building at one point was abandoned because of all the haunting activity. In 1990, an earthquake uh, left the building unstable, so it was mm-hmm. pretty much not used for a while. Stayed that way till 2001, and the building was renovated by the government, and it was released. It was leased to a group called the CPACIAI. I have no idea what that stands for. I tried to look it up a thousand times, and wasn't anything on there. But from 2001 to 2009, that group that just bought it with the long-ass letter name. They were actually a production company uh, called The Amazing Show Theater. And mm-hmm. they put on a production that was called The Amazing Show. And it was basically drag queen stuff. Oh. Uh, so for 2001 and 2009, um, they had this deal where everybody in there was transgender. Mm-hmm. That's what they say, but we all know what it meant. It was drag shows. Mm-hmm. And over 280,000 tourists came and saw that show over the, the eight years that they were there. But... They, uh, 2009, their contract was up and they moved elsewhere. 
They don't seem like very many people through four eight years. How many people do you think are coming to the Philippines? Two hundred eighty thousand people came. That's a lot of people. Hmm. I mean, for eight years, it seemed like it should be more. I guess. Well, it's the Philippines. I mean, well, that's how true. many tourists do you think are going to yeah. the Philippines to begin with? So, in um, they moved out, obviously. Then it kind of set vacant, and um, they were talking about the government was actually going to move there because there, there, some of the government uh, structures were just like. Mm-hmm. almost practically next door. But they could have saved a lot of money by moving in there. But in 2013, there was a big fire. There was structure damage. And they just kind of decided to just leave it alone. So yeah. from my understanding right now, the building sits abandoned. And it's kind of just a lot of, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's not usable for anything right now. When did that heifer die? Oh, I can't remember. She's been dead for probably five, six, seven years at least. Stupid people. So, that is the story. That's so of the Manila crazy. Filmhouse. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty cool story. Like I said, considering that I had never heard of it, mm-hmm. but I thought it was pretty cool. Nice. Well, here's what we're going to do for the rest of the show. I thought it'd be cool to go ahead and knock out our uh, joke of the day and the creepy fact, uh, the basically twisted thought of the week. What beforehand. you got? Let's go with a twisted thought first, and this is very simple, but it's kind of disturbing at the same time. If you're over the age of 40, you probably already own the clothes that you will die in. Oh, well, that's a no-brainer for me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I think I wear the same things I wore back in the day. When I have a hundred <laughs> other things to wear, I just wear the same thing. Yep, it makes that's sense. That's kind of weird, though. Yeah. It is. So let's talk about the uh, the joke of the day, and then we'll get into the uh, uh, McCamey Manor stuff. Okay. Joke of the day we have a contractor that goes over to the Middle East. He's kind of a dumb old boy. Uh, so he goes over to the Middle East, and he's over in, we'll say, Kuwait. And he, he hooks up with some other Americans and stuff, and they're kind of in this out-of-the-way place, out in the desert. And uh, he's starting to feel a little anxious one night, if you kind of know what I mean. It's been mm-hmm. a long time without a woman. So he goes up to the uh, the uh, people that are in charge of the, the company he's working for, and he says, hey, i uh, got to be honest with you, I'm kind of feeling a little anxious, and... Uh, mm-hmm. It's been a while, and the guy takes him over, and he says, you see that camel right there? And he says, yeah. And he said, you know, when you're ready, the camel will be right there waiting for you. And he's don't say anything, but his mind, he's thinking, oh, I don't think I'm ever going to be that ready. <laughs> <laughs> so a couple months go by. He goes up to the same guy, and he said, uh, you know, I've, I've got to be honest with you. I'm, I'm really starting to get that itch, so to speak. And the guy says, well, I told you that camel was right there. When, whenever you need it, buddy, it's all you. Mm-hmm. A couple more months go by, and the guy's feeling desperate by now. He goes out, and he's trying to survey it, and he's thinking, well, how the hell am I going to do this anyway? So he gets him a little stepladder. He puts it behind the camel, and he just starts going to town. By that time, the, the boss comes in. He's like, oh, what the hell are you doing? He says, well, I'm doing what you told me. You told me when, when I was ready that this camel would be here. You said all the guys use it. He said, yeah, we get on it and ride to town where the women are. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> That's a terrible image I'll never get rid of. I know it. It's kind of, it's a funny joke, though. Well, I thought so. It was pretty good. Who is calling? It's Bo again. What from- the heck? Does he not know that we are recording at this minute? I don't know. Let me... Uh, all right, well... Tell him to hurry up. Let me let me grab it real quick. We can't say nothing. He gave away all those posters and DVDs and stuff last week. So. Oh, okay. All right. Let me grab it. 
Hey, Bo, what's going on, brother? Hey, what you know good? I know, doing all over? I know nothing good, man. I just, uh, just finishing up some recording. You know how that goes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was recording. You, you remember them old, them old tape players where you had to, like, press, press play and record at the same time, and you, <laughs> you talk in a little microphone, man? See, that was the original karaoke back in my day, see. <laughs> I was doing that, and I, I, I'd record the songs off the radio, and then I'd just try to match the singer's voice. Oh, that's definitely an 80s type thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, 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 I mean, hey, man, boy, I'll tell you what. It hurt me. I, 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 I sound good. I sound good, man. I could, I, and me and that Conway Tweedy man, we was laying her down, let me tell you. <laughs> well, I tell you what, Conway probably led the way with the creepiest ass songs ever, if you just listen to the lyrics. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is, that Mark Ben White stayed on that one the other night didn't go so good, you know, cause, you know, I talked to her about wanting to lay her down and whisper, you know, sweet nothings in her ear and whatnot. You know, next thing I know, I was, I was like real close to her ear. And, uh, yeah, it would have been so bad, you know, if you went to the bartender and trying to work at the same time. You know, so I just, I, I just found here from here and there and climbed back over the bar. Yeah, I can understand how that might, uh, might be a little frustrating if you're trying to work and you got somebody, you know, trying to lay you down and whisper sweet nothings in your ear. Yeah, boy, her manager. He is. Good <laughs> Hey, you guys, uh, I think you, you autographed some, um, uh, posters for some of the listeners out there. They want to thank you for that. Oh, well, hi, man. We, we appreciate them. We, you know, we, we love all them listeners, you know, especially when they listen. That's, that's the important thing. That's what makes them listeners. <laughs> so, yeah, we look at what I've been told. <laughs> hey, uh, we're doing a, a show tonight about uh, extreme haunted houses. Do you like going to haunted houses? Man, let me tell you something. My Aunt Ferline's outhouse was haunted. <laughs> I mean, because un- Uncle Cletus died out there taking shit one day. And, I mean, every time you go in there, everybody talks about you get the chills. But then again, I mean, they was out there crapping in the wintertime, so it could have just been the draft blowing between the boards, but... I'm telling you what, it was creepy nonetheless. And God, the smells that come out of that place. Woohoo! Lord, it must. <laughs> I still, I'll tell you what, it still gives me nightmares, but, uh, now I ain't never been in a whole house that was haunted before. Well, that's, uh, well, you know, some of these things, like the one we're talking about, it's not really haunted, it's just actors trying to give you that experience and this house particular they like they actually get to touch you in there where some of these other ones they they don't they're not allowed to touch you and this one they can touch you and push you and they they put their fingers in your mouth and make you eat rotten eggs and pull your hair sound like oh hell i've been eating rotten eggs for years man you ain't you just don't know till you taste it lulu's cooking (laughs) but i now 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 they can touch you they can put their hands on you now let me ask you this: Are 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 the women folk that 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 play these hair characters are any of them hot, and are they single? I don't think any of the actors are women to begin with. So, oh, oh, well then, no, sir, leave me out of it. I mean, hey, sir, ain't nothing wrong with that. Do you think? But I'm just saying, for me, 
Now, Cephas, I can't speak for Cephas. Now, he may be down like a clown. I don't even know. But, <laughs> you know, I mean, the boy don't really say much in that department. Of course, and again, he don't say a whole lot either. But, you know, the thing is, is just, hey, that's just not going to quite be for me. Well, I definitely could understand that. Look, I, I hate to cut you off, Bo, but we got a lot of recording still to do. I do want to say thank you for everything you guys have done for the show. And, uh. Oh, man. Hey, we, we's glad to do it. And, uh, you know, like always, I love, I love calling, just checking in with you and everything. Now listen, and when they feed you them rotten eggs, just remember chase it with them. And it makes everything, you know, go down real smooth. But I'm telling you right now, now the next day you might want to get you like a like a safety pin or, or a clothes pin or something, put it on your nose because you're gonna need it. Um, <laughs> you know, cause that, that first trip to the to the John, man, that thing gonna be rough. I ain't even gonna lie. But uh, yeah, in the meantime, y'all y'all keep uh, keep on listening and uh, watching some hillbilly horror show, and don't forget the number one rule of the trailer: if you got a beer in hand, you ain't got room for no tool. Sounds awesome. Out. All right, brother. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. Have a good That bow is absolutely a nut. <laughs> yes, he is that. That's a, I think that's a pretty good word for him. Yeah, I think it's a, it's fitting. And we do want to thank Hillbilly Horror Show. Them guys have been uh, very supportive of us they and uh, given us plenty of stuff to give away to you guys. So once again, check them out on Roku, uh, YouTube, pretty much anywhere um because they're not a podcast or video, so anywhere that you can check them out, uh, check them out. Go, yeah, to, go to their website, but yeah, they're 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 awesome. So we we appreciate everything they've done. We do appreciate you very much, honey. All right, so let's get into it. McCamey Manor. I don't even know what to say. Like I said, you you've seen the videos out there. The controversy obviously is is this legal torture because that's what a lot of people have made it out to be. Uh, you sign a waiver in San Diego. There was no safe word, supposedly. Mm-hmm. So you were co- deemed done when Russ McCamey, the owner, said you were done. Now, I'm just going to tell you what the horror stories are out there. People are saying that they had their nose broke. Uh, people are saying that it needed reconstructive surgery. People saying that they got uh, PTSD uh, from this experience. And they were damaged for life psychologically. We got people saying they had chunks of hair pulled out, uh, head shaved, you name it. Marines uh, that had been through war uh, over in the Persian Gulf and stuff went through it and said that they couldn't handle it. It was that strong. So people who had been through something as intensive as war had trouble with this. That's crazy and and but this is all legal Mm -hmm. uh and like i said you sign a 40 page waiver that tells you all this and i know uh, russ actually tells you several times uh during this process you don't want to do this Mm -hmm. but once you're in yeah you're in yeah and you're done when you are physically or mentally broken down if you pass out if you need medical attention something like that that's when you were done you couldn't say I'm done. I want out or tap out, so to speak. Yeah. It didn't matter. You know, so that's the stories that are out there. Now, what I said is I was going to tell you the horror stories. Now, during the course of the interview of Christina and the interview of Russ, you'll find out that maybe, just maybe, it's not quite as bad as people think. But the reality of it is 
There's a lot of videos out there, and the videos people show up at the end, they're battered. They got um, the one guy said he had over a hundred bites on him, bug bites of some sort. He said it was he thought it was roaches, but there was a hundred bug bites on him, and he was only in there for like two hours. But these people have to know they have had to see the video before they did this, the, right? What they're saying is that. They saw the videos, so they expected some of that, but there's stuff that you don't see on the videos that was what put it over the top that they weren't expecting. If all that was up there was what they saw on the video, they would have been fine with it. But there's other stuff that you don't see. And uh, as Russ will tell you, they like to make it personal. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've heard some behind the scenes stuff that we didn't, uh, I I told Russ I wasn't going to put on the show, just me and him conversation, which was nothing wrong with it. But, you know, he divulged a little bit to me that, you know, about some things, like I said, they do make it personal. And Mm -hmm. he shared some actual experiences that I won't comment on. But well, I would not make it 10 minutes. I'm telling you right now. I mean, there there there's parts where you go into like a um, eight feet of water that has like a cage on top. So you can kind of pull up and get your head up to the cage and okay, hold on I'm to it. I'm 4'11". I'm, I'm screwed. Well, you can still swim go. up to the top of water. You don't have to stand at the bottom. That's what he's saying. But there's eight feet of water. And, and how many people you know that are eight foot tall? That well, that's have... true. But <laughs> I, feel, I feel like these short people, it'd be more of a struggle. But um, there's like eels and stuff like that. They'll put you in a coffin. Uh, they will have uh, uh, scorpions and stuff like that climbing on your face. They, well, I they mean, did that in Fear Factor. Yeah, and it, it is some of that kind of Fear Factor stuff. But, I mean, that's some of the stuff that goes on here. And it is a, a full-fledged uh, extreme haunting, which means they touch you. You know, you everybody's used to going to the haunted houses. Hey, the actors won't touch you. But that's not what this is. They mm-hmm. touch you. They push you. They punch you. They... <laughs> They pull your hair out. They do all that, and you sign away that right as soon as you do it. I'm sure a bunch of them get punched the heck back, too. I No, no, because I know Russ told me there was one instant, and I can't remember who it was, uh, where he, he kicked somebody up because they actually did retaliate, and that's the quickest way to get kicked out. No, oh, there you go, then. You went out, punch yeah. somebody. There <laughs> I, you go. Secrets so. out. <laughs> so, anyways, I thought it would be cool to first, let's listen to Christina Buster. Since she's been a part of this three times, let's hear what she's got to say. And uh, then let's hear from the man himself, Russ McCamey. All right, I want to welcome to the show a very special guest tonight. Uh, if you know anything about McCamey Manor, you've watched a lot of the videos, uh, there is one name that probably pops up more than any. She's definitely, without a doubt, uh, the most uh, famous of the participants of McCamey, and that would be Christina Buster. Christina, thank you so much for coming on the show. You're very welcome. Now, I want to um, give you the opportunity to tell everybody out there a few things that I know people are thinking. They've all seen videos. They they uh, will hear at some point in time from uh, Russ tonight in an interview we did. And I thought it would be good to get the perspective from a participant. Now, I've watched um, uh, the video. I didn't watch the full two hours of it, of, of your second trip through. And uh, I'm telling you, it looks so intense. My first question to you is, and I know this is what everybody is thinking, what possesses somebody to want to put themselves through that? I think for me personally, it was because I'm an adrenaline junkie, and I always like to push my body to the next level of where it can go. Um, to see what fears I have, if I will legit have these types of fears. Um, so far of 
extreme haunts that I've gone to, numerous ones, not just in Candy Manor in itself, I haven't found that interfered yet. I'm sure I have it. It just has not surfaced yet. Um, I wouldn't recommend extreme haunts for everybody because they're not designed for everybody because there is physical contact. You do get pushed around a bit. You might come out with bumps, cuts, and scrapes. That's the nature of extreme haunt. It's not your typical boo haunt. Okay, so let me ask you this. I know you came uh, for the first time you, you lasted, now you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, cause I see varying reports, but one of the reports I said said you lasted about five minutes the first time. Does that sound correct, or do you think you went a little longer than that? I know the first time I went in was probably maybe a little bit longer, and then I went right back in. Russ allowed me to go back in, and then I went a couple hours after that. Okay. And the second time you did it, you flew, and it might have been that same way for the first time, but you flew 19 hours from Kuwait over here to do that, and I think another haunt maybe the night before. Um, I actually had gone to, my second time I went through, I actually went to Freakland Brothers in Las Vegas, which is the top extreme haunt on the most scariest um, list for extreme haunts. And that one is very brutal. It's very hands-on. It's very intense. So when I had got done with that haunt, I basically got on a plane, and went straight to McKinney Manor. So I did back-to-back extreme haunts, and it was brutal. I would, I would, I would never do that again. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, what I found interesting is from the time you did your first one at McKinney to the time you did your second, apparently you taunted uh, the actors for almost a full year before you came back. Do you think that was the smartest thing to do? No, it was not. <laughs> And you can see the after pictures with how my hair was. So, no, that probably wasn't the best thing to do. So, so let me ask you this. So, I'm going to pretend that nobody out here has seen the video. So, what I want you to do is paint a picture from the very start to finish. And I don't expect every detail by any means. But, like, I know, you know, in your situation, at least on on the video I saw, it starts off with uh, um, in in the parking lot and basically goes from a hostage situation type situation straight down to um, uh, some underwater activities, we'll say, to doing the uh, um, the waiver. So tell me a little bit about what happens when you first get there and lead me down that path until you get to the actual haunt itself. Well, it, it, it varied from the first time I went to it to the second time. The first time was put into a van and taken to the location, which is where the haunt is. Um, the second time was put inside a, was taken down to kind of like a creek. And that is in one, that's actually one of the videos where you see us being ducked, dragged, through this creek with my two other partners and um, the waiver being signed um, and then taken in a van and taken to our location where there are numerous um, breakers within the Caney Manor that test your endurance, test you psychologically um, through different, through water, through um, apparatuses, through um, psychological 
um, mind games to try to break you. And that's basically what McCainy Manor is all about. Is there smoke and mirrors? Yeah, there's smoke and mirrors as, as part of it. Um, and you, when you go through, like myself, I came out with bumps, cuts, and bruises that that is all in the waiver. So it's not that you're not aware that that's not going to happen. Um, and then if you do break and, you know, when Wes feels like that your body has had enough, um, you know, he, he will pull you out and make your, make you rest and dehydrate you and make sure that you're okay. And that's pretty much about McCainy Manor. Of course, I can't give away what's inside McCainy sure. Manor because if he decides that he's going to um, start back up again in his current location, because right now he's in um, timeout mode because of some some issues, and when he does come back up, then of course, you know, I don't want to give away any spoilers of what actually inside McCainy Manor. I have not gone to the new location in Tennessee. All my um, experiences were here in San Diego where he's no longer here and he has moved. Okay. So I'm not really familiar with what what he has going on in the new location in Tennessee. And well, and actually, and, and um, I'll send you links to this show because we actually did a really cool interview with Russ and he actually tells you in detail what's going on in Tennessee. It's quite different. Uh, than what he's done in the past. There actually is are no actors in the new hunt. It's himself in one of them and uh, Holly in another one. And that's the whole thing is one one on one. So it's kind of a, a different setup completely. Now he did want me to tell you um, that apparently you two have had some kind of a falling out. He wanted me to reach out the olive branch to you and uh, tell you that he wanted to invite you out to the new location to give that a shot if that was something you wanted to do. I more than likely will PM him, private message, and, and discuss that with him because there's a lot of things that need to be worked out and a lot of things that he needs to own up to and apologize for his behavior, and I'll just leave it at that. All right. Now, one thing I want to point out is that you are the oldest uh, person to actually go through McCamey Manor. You've done it three times, which you may not know this now. That was the record until a couple of days ago. A young lady by the name of Marissa Phillips has actually went through for the fourth time. So she's now the record holder in that category. So it might be a little extra incentive for you to get back out there and at least tie that record up. Maybe. <laughs> but I'm glad to hold my record at the age of, in the age of my 40s. I've outlasted people that are in their 20s. So I'm, I'm kind of proud of that. <laughs> so let me ask you this. And this is me playing devil's advocate. Uh, you know, I mm-hmm. watched the video. This is obviously out there for everybody to watch. You know, I understand Extreme Halt. Now, this is somebody talk coming from somebody who's never done this. And I couldn't imagine without ever seeing these videos that something like this even existed. But, you know, I watched the beginning when you guys are down at the creek. And I'm watching them push, you know, faces down in the water. I'm, I'm watching... Uh, Smacks. I mean, I'm talking, people got smacked in the head, pretty good smacks. I mean, they almost look like, you know, something you would see in a domestic violence case or something. It wouldn't just little love taps. And so, but, but all of that was even before you guys signed the waiver to even go into the actual hunt. I just, it just amazes me that in, in a situation like that, after that part, 
that somebody didn't bail at that point. I'm surprised too. <laughs> um, like that, like I know the videos look very graphic, and um, we look like we're people perceive it as that we're being. Um, I'm trying to think of the word tortured. Tortured, which I don't think I was personally because I realized what I was getting myself into. So I knew that was going to happen. Um, but that is the nature of extreme haunts again. So I wouldn't recommend anybody, if that is graphic for them, I wouldn't recommend them going to McKinney Manor. I wouldn't recommend them going to um, that type of extreme haunt. Now, there are different levels of extreme haunt because I've been to numerous different types. I've traveled overseas to England, I'm fixing to go to Switzerland at the beginning of the month for another extreme haunt. So there are different types within the extreme haunt um, community and extreme haunt types. So, um, so if you have any issues of people invading your personal space or you don't like to be manhandled, you don't like to be pushed, you might be bounded, might be put in small confined places, I would not recommend somebody going to an extreme haunt. And, you know, like I said, I, I I definitely understand the touching and the pushing and stuff like that. I guess it just seems a little odd to me to see, um, uh, you know, people have their hair pulled out in clumps and and, uh, and stuff like that. To me, it, I, just, I guess it just seems a little overboard. But like I said, if you know what you're getting into and you're completely fine with that going into it, I mean, to each their own as far as I'm concerned. Uh, that's the way I look at it. Um, it is a shock to people when they see that. And so I can understand somebody assuming that that's what it is or taking it in that direction. And everybody perceives something, everybody perceives something different to what you perceive it as, what I perceive it as. Um, I don't think people that go through extreme haunts are crazy, they're nutty, or they have, mental issues of any nature. And I have been classified as being somebody that's not stable because I go to these extreme haunts. And I am perfectly normal. I know what I'm getting myself into, and I know um, what's happening when I sign the waiver. So let me ask you this. You obviously have, you do this all over the world, so you have no problems at all with the extreme haunts. You know, there's a, do, do the places all over the world have as much controversy surrounding them as what McCamey's Manor does? Um, not as much because their country's regulations are a lot different to what, um, what the United States are. I don't know, to be honest, what the regulations are for Switzerland for extreme haunt. But for instance, for England, they're, they can't do as much with some of those things that that you've seen in videos with McCandy Manor that that Russ that Russ allowed to do or get away with. I but obviously it's legal because he's he's been doing it for for so many years. Well, that's true. Unfortunately, I mean, he there's so much controversy surrounding. He's forced to move from one location to another location, which I'm sure is aggravating. Um, but at the same time, I can definitely understand why people would be concerned 
but once again, on the other hand, you know, if people are signing up for it and they know what they're getting, you know, there's just, you know, I think where the major problem came in with Russ was especially in the San Diego days is the, uh, the no safe word. I think that's what people, their concern was, you know, this guy is making his own medical decisions on people when, when they're through and when they're not through. And is he, is he even, um, qualified to make those decisions? And I think that's where a lot of the controversy started. You know, when you start hearing, you know, Russ will be the one to decide when you're completely broke. And, you know, you hear these horror stories and who knows if any of them are true. I, I'm actually want to get your opinion on that. You know, there's tons of stories about, Hey, uh, my boyfriend went through it. He got his nose broke in, in several places. He's going through reconstructive surgery tomorrow. You know, you've got stories like that out there. Now, when you talk to Russ, uh, as I did, he says there's never been any kind of medical uh, situations where somebody's had to be rushed to the hospital or, or had any medical attention uh, after the fact. I mean, I, I'm at the point where I really don't know who to believe. Um, I mean, do you know... Or what is your opinion? Do you think that there are situations that's ever occurred where somebody needed medical attention? Or is it all basically like your situation where people are just a little battered and just go home and, you know, throw some peroxide on a, on a couple of cuts? Well, I can't, I can't elaborate on other people's experiences because I wasn't there to physically witness this. So for me to make an opinion about that, I think it would be kind of biased. I can only base on what, what my three times I went through. And when um, Russ says the safe word, when there's supposed to be a safe word, yes, he kind of, when you feel like that you want to get out, he will keep you in a little bit longer. And I do admit that that does happen because he wants to push you. He wants you to push your body to see how far you can go. Um, people disagree with that. They think they should be pulled out as soon as, the person feels like they, that they feel like they want to quit. And I don't agree with that aspect of it personally. That's just my opinion. Um, now, when my body, my first tour, and I can admit this, um, when my body gave out, because my body basically went into shock because I had never gone through the Katie Banner, so my, my, my body, my brain didn't know what to make of it. So I did get pulled out pretty quickly and because Russ was concerned about my safety. And I, after everything, I got decompressed. I went right back in. So that was with the first tour. Now, the second tour, my body kept on being pushed, 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 pushed. And so I basically said, I'm not fucking doing anymore, sorry for my language, and I fucking quit. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing anymore. So that was the second time. And then the third time, I just, it just was a bad situation that had happened. I don't want to elaborate on it because I don't want to bash Russ or anything. It just was not a pleasant experience, and I'll leave it at that. And um, the third tour, I only lasted eight minutes. So, so, So let me ask you this. What do you think was the hardest part about going through? Is it the physical part? Or is it the mental part? I think for me, it's the, the physical part. Not so much the mental, because you, I could block people out if I have to block people out to a certain degree. So to me, it was more the physical, because I'm 40-something years old. I'm not in my 20s. Well, I think, I think 
you know, you're not the only one, obviously, that's had that problem because nobody's ever made it through that location. Uh, so, you know, it's, there's, there's a lot of twenties and 30 year olds out there that, that didn't fare, uh, any better than you. And some of them a lot worse than what you did. So I commend you for what you were able to do because I can guarantee I wouldn't have lasted two hours at any point in time. So my best time I went through and lasted the longest was my second time I went through it. Yeah. And I think, was that something like four hours? Is, is that what I remember? I think it was between two, maybe two and four hours is what I made it through the second, when I went through the second time. So let me ask you this. When it's all said and done, you, you go through it. How do you feel a couple of days after the fact? I mean, does this stuff linger with you for a little bit or are you back to normal within a couple of hours? No, I, for me, my body, my body was very physically battered. Not, I wasn't mentally where my, I had to reprogram myself. I was just, my body was just battered. So my body was sore from, the the bruises and and the cuts and and just being battered in general. So it took me about a day, a day and a half, just resting in bed and and and, and putting deep deep heating pad on my joints and muscles that were telling me that I'm forty something years old and why am I doing this kind of thing. <laughs> so so when you said that. The, from the three times you went through it, did it progressively, do you think, got worse as far as from a physical and mental standpoint? Did it evolve uh, very much between the first, second, and third times? I personally think for me, it did not help me poke in the actors, but they, they I think when you go back the second and third time, the actors are... Because um, it was the same actors the second and the third time, and there was a few actors, new actors that had been put in over the years. And when you go through the first time and you break, you know the actors are are happy. Oh, we got that person to break. Of course, they want you to have fun as well as you're going through this. And it's not about always breaking the person, but the second time, it was the actors were. Oh, she wants to come back. We didn't do a good enough job. <laughs> so the second time, the second time was like worse. And then, oh, you're coming back the third time? Are you crazy? We didn't do, we didn't get rid of you the second time. We're going to make it worse the third time. So yeah, it, it was, it was bad for me. <laughs> and they know where my pain level is. They know how far they can push me. So I had a disadvantage. Yeah, I would think so. What, you know, anytime you give the, uh, the enemy so-called the, uh, the knowledge of, of what your fears and stuff already are, they already know where to start at where before they had to figure it out. Correct. All right. So let me ask you this. Uh, we're getting ready to wrap this thing up, but you had mentioned earlier a, um, a possible a, a extreme haunt around the Oklahoma area. And, uh, um, tell me a little bit about that. Well, there is, there is a, um, an extreme haunt that's very well known in LA. And it's called Heretic. It's an underground um, extreme haunt. And they are teaming up with um, this one named Obscure um, Horror. And so Heretic is actually flying out to Tulsa, Oklahoma area. And they are forming a line together and forming an extreme haunt. Um, I believe the dates are from the 24th to the 27th. I believe. But if you go to the Scare uh, um, website, 
which you could type in a scare horror through Facebook or through the um, website. Then it will direct you on how to get tickets, but actually tickets are for sale right now. So they are an extreme haunt. Um, I would say aggressiveness. They're probably maybe about a seven in terms of aggressiveness and in, in terms of an extreme haunt. So I'm just kind of like, if anybody would like to try it and see what they feel about extreme haunts, whether it's them for them or not, because like I said, it's not for everybody. That I would read into it so you know what you're getting yourself into. So that way you don't complain that this is not what you signed up for. All right. With that being said, I want to end on this. In general, there's a lot of negative things said about Russ. Uh, and what I mean by that is it's the, you know, he's a sadist. He does this for his own, uh, his, his own sick fantasies. He just likes torturing people within a legal main. And, and the place needs to be shut down because people shouldn't be treated like that. Tell everybody what your true opinion of, uh, is of McCamey Manor. Is it just get a bad rap? Is that what you think? Is it, is it, is Russ misunderstood and really everything that's going on is a lot more, um, safe than what people think it is? What's your honest opinion of McCamey Manor? My honest opinion of McKinney Manor is that when I first went through it in 2014, it has revolved. If, if, honestly, if Russ would have kept it the same level and kept it where it was at when I first initially went through it, instead of it becoming more aggressive where I think it has crossed boundaries, and I honestly do think that it has uh, gone too far, in my opinion. It's not to push his, uh, bash his haunt or bash Wes McKinney as, as an owner. And I do honestly think that he needs to pull back the reins and go back to its roots. That's fair enough. Because I think, because I think that's where he is honestly getting a bad rap with him keep on making it more aggressive, 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 aggressive. And people don't want that level of aggressiveness. They would like to enjoy what they're going through as well. Christina, I thank you so much for coming on and giving us some insight to what it's like to actually go through some of these extreme haunts. Um, I, I greatly appreciate it, and I wish you nothing but success in the future with all this. I know. And I just, the only last thing I want to say is that I'm not telling nobody not to go through McKinney Manor. Um, I personally, I don't think at this present time that I want to go back through it, but that's just me. But if people really honestly want to go for it and try it, go ahead. Just make sure you know what you're getting yourself into and then don't complain after the fact. This happened, this happened, and that happened. Because you've been kind of, you've been forewarned. Fair enough. So. Thank you so much for your insight. I greatly appreciate it. No problem. It was enjoy having maybe the maybe the listeners had a different perspective, or maybe they have a different insight. That was the goal all along, and I appreciate you being able to give us that insight because I didn't know anybody else who had been through an extreme honk. <laughs> oh, no problem. Anytime. Thank you, Christina. You're welcome. So that was Christina Buster. Like I said, uh, now I found out later. Uh, when I interviewed Russ, that she at one time, she's still the oldest person to ever go through. And yeah. She's, she's in her late forties now. Dude, she, was she like is 45. the bravest person ever. But she had the record at three. And as you heard me mm-hmm. mention to her on there, 
there's been a young lady by the name of Marissa that's actually beaten her record. And Russ obviously reached out the uh, yeah. olive branch and, and gave her an offer to come back out and check it out. So oh, my God. We'll, we'll see what happens. And uh, uh, I know when I talked to Christina a little bit off there, and, and, and I'm not sure she's 100% on board with trying to go through it again. Mm-hmm. I think she she may feel like that she's done with McCamey. Yeah. Uh, but as you heard, she's still doing several others around the world. Oh, yeah. She's world, like so. an adventure seeker for sure. I wanted to give a quick shout out to Bomb Pod Media. And the reason I say that is it's a, it's I'm, I'm super happy to be a part of that. You heard the intro at the very beginning. But um, I know this was uh, myself and, and a couple of other shows, mainly Mysterious Radio, got this thing started and off the ground. Uh about a month or so ago, we've been kind of hush-hush on it, just trying to build things up. We want to be the best collection of creators out there. Uh, this is just, you know, we want people to be able to say, hey, this this group has some of the best podcasts out there. And uh, I wanted to share some of those, obviously, podcasts with you. So, obviously, we got Mysterious Radio and our, Ourself. Then we've got uh, Irreverentness, True Crime History, The Confessionals, 36 Times, the Intronaut, Stat, you've heard um, mm-hmm. Karen on the show already. The Media Matters, you've heard Chantel on the show. Uh, Weird Darkness, True Crime Historian, Don, which is Daily Dose of Weird News. We can always use that. Uh, the Paracast, that's a huge one for us to get. Another really big one for us to get was uh, Higher, t- Higher Side Chat. Mm-hmm. That is a big show out there. Gone Code. And then you heard uh, at the very beginning of our show, we played an intro by mm-hmm. Brohio Podcast, which I told you about last week and gave you the warning. <laughs> on, <laughs> but a lot of you checked it out. And I've had a lot of you tell me that you really liked it. So. Yeah, that's awesome. But we're excited about this. We're going to have more and more uh, groups sign on. But go to BOMB, B-O-M-B, P-O-D, Media. And uh, just do a Google search of it. Go to our website. You can see all the shows are there. And we urge you to check them out because we only brought on the shows that we felt like were the best of the best. You know, that, granted, there's a lot bigger shows still out there that uh, they've already got their own deal. So we couldn't uh, snag those shows. So no, we're not by any means claiming that, you know, these shows are, are as big as, you know, like Lore or Astonishing Legends mm-hmm. or something like that. I mean, but these are all really good shows that. You probably just haven't heard of, or some of you have, but we're proud to have some of them. We just want you to take some time to check them all out. Uh, we've got a Facebook group, Bomb Pod Media. Look us up the Facebook page and uh, check out the shows, and you can interact with all of us at one time. So. Yeah, it's fun. Okay, so now let's bring on one of my favorite guests that we've ever had on, Mr. Russ McCamey. I think you guys are going to love this, and this should answer most, if not all, of your questions about McCamey Manor. Okay, I got to be honest, I have never really been as excited about having a guest on, and we've had some pretty cool-ass guests, but I've never been as excited to have this one on. We've got the man, the legend of McCamey Manor, Mr. Russ McCamey. Uh, Russ, thank you so much for giving us some time. Hey, my pleasure, man. I'm glad to be here. To let all your uh, all your fans know I'm actually in a car driving right now so i get some funky receptions you know what's going on <laughs> well they're they're very lenient so i'm sure they'll be happy uh to get any version they can of you so they'll be happy all right all right we'll give them a good entertaining version hopefully tonight and we'll we'll uh kind of talk about some of the myths and the 
all the misinformation and uh, let's get some fans out to the hunt. That's what I'm saying. We're uh, and we're going to be in an area, obviously, where we got a lot of listeners in your area, so it should work out pretty well. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about you, uh, Russ. First of all, you're retired Navy, so I want to thank you for your service. Oh, sure, you bet. My pleasure. Tell me a little bit about you. I know you've got the Navy. I know you've done, you know. Wedding singer is part of your arsenal of uh, skills. You've done a little bit of movies and stuff like that. Tell me a little bit about what you've done in the past and how that led to you starting McCamey's Manor. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Well, you know, I've been uh, been doing showbiz type stuff like forever. That's what my uh, a big thrill in life is. It's just to entertain people. Didn't matter whether I was doing a haunt in a one-bedroom apartment or when I was out to sea for all those years. I did 23 years in the Navy, and 17 of those was out to sea floating around. So I was even doing haunts underway for the cruise. That was pretty fun, actually. And then, uh, you know, I was a theater arts major in school, acting, always trying to break into showbiz. I was part of a casting agency during my high school He's doing a lot of extra work in Hollywood, so that's kind of been my my thing. But my big thing that I love to do is is well, my big hobby, the passion is movies. I've always been a big movie fan of uh, of movies from the forties, fifties, sixties, seventies. You know, like a lot of film film noir type stuff, a lot of shadowing and and cool lighting and black and white. You know, I'm just a big fan of that kind of thing. So. As soon as I was able to uh, appreciate filmmaking and appreciate haunts, it was kind of a natural tendency to kind of put those two things together, and that's kind of how that all took off, and that's really my biggest pleasure. I, I tell everybody who's going through the, through the haunt, you're my star, we're making a movie about you, it's all about the movie. You'll hear me say that a billion times to somebody. You know, now that doesn't mean that anything is staged. There's not one thing is fake in the films, but I'm definitely looking for those magic Kodak moments that we can get for real. And I think they kind of come across accurately and genuine because you can't fake that kind of fear and terror. So either it's really happening or it's not. And the beauty of McKinney Manor is that it happens in a safe environment of where you actually really do live your own horror movie and you know, where else can you say that takes place? I don't I don't know many. So that's the uh the beauty of the manor is just being able to create that survival horror challenge for people to enjoy and push their limits and be a movie star for a day and I and I absolutely love it. Well obviously, you know, the McCamey Manor doesn't come without its share of controversy, and we're going to get into that a little bit later. But first, I want you to kind of talk about how it started. You correct me if I'm wrong here, but I believe it started in San Diego in approximately 1989 or somewhere in that vicinity. Am I correct on that? Well, actually, it started uh, before that uh, in other sites where I was at. It just wasn't as well known, so it started in... Um, in uh, Moreno Valley when I had a house out there. It started in uh, in Hemet when I had a house out there. It didn't matter, again, where I was. 
there was a McKinney Manor. It just wasn't well known like it is. So, so I guess you could say the the true start of it would be about 1989 or so in San Diego when I when I bought my last house, at least the one that had you know before we moved out here in Tennessee. And uh, so, yeah, that's accurate. That's when we started getting a little bit of a publicity and we started making things on a larger scale and started getting the, uh, all the neighborhood folks involved. And then that was the fun part. It was a very fun haunt because we would use all the neighborhood kids as actors. And then once they grew up, we had the new, new stage of kids coming in and taking their spot as they went, went out to college. We'd have all the parents involved. So. You know, but it was a, a natural progression for it to kind of become what it is now because of the fact that, uh, you know, I always like to try to up the ante every single year, and I never want to stay stagnant. Because of that, you always have to think of, all right, what new wild, crazy things can we do to involve the audience? And I have no no lack, you know, I, have, I don't have any lack of ideas. I have lots of ideas floating around there, so that wasn't a problem. And it was just a matter of, you know, working that fine line and seeing what the audience really appreciated, what they liked. So I, I took a lot of input from the folks going through, and they really liked to be involved. And that's when the big old light bulb went off, like, well, okay, let's keep this thing going. And I was always doing things out of the box. It didn't matter... You know, again, where I was at, it was never a standard boo haunt. It was always very cinematic, very theatrical, but it did get to be, you know, more aggressive, more interactive as years went on. And again, if you just look at the, at the pathway of what we did from way back there in 89 to what it is now, it's kind of like it makes sense. You can go like, okay, so you bump it up. 5% in 89, then another 5 in 90, and then another 5 in 91, and it just makes sense to where it is where it is now. It, it couldn't really stop. You know, once you started the balls down that hill, they couldn't really pull it back because the audience didn't want us to pull it back. The audience loves that stuff, and they love all the interactivity. So it's just, you know, it's, the thing I wonder is, uh, where is it going to be five years from now? You know, I'm, I'm kind of at not really a maxed out level, but I'm at a level where I have to really try to go bigger and better. And that's what I did in Tennessee. I mean, we're definitely bigger and better now than we ever were in San Diego because I have such a huge amount of property in other locations than Alabama as well to work with. And I never had that option in San Diego. So I've got a big palette for me to play with, and it is at a much larger scale, and I have room to grow now. I have, you know, several acres on each location to deal with, and that's exciting to me that I have that type of uh, foundation. Now, the question is, is will the city and the county, you know, keep, keep it from me? Will they somehow shut me down? Because... That's what they're trying to do. So will I be able to continue the haunt? That's the question that I cannot answer. They're doing everything under the sun to get us out of town, to shut the haunt down legally and 
just really on the scummy side. They're trying to do some really funny things, but they really want us gone. And they're going to do whatever they can do to make that happen. So it's kind of a matter of who's going to win out on this, uh, on this scum the shove scenario that I got thrown into. And, you know, the real diehard haters, they're like, we don't care what we got to do. You will not survive out here. You know, they've said that, you know, a thousand times, but they're not going to give up. And it just depends upon, uh, you know, how much pushing and it just really depends upon the legalities of the situation. They're trying to make up rules. They're trying to basically, you know, petition, add new agendas, add new reasons for us legally to keep us from running a, not a business, we are not a business, for me running my personal hobby on my personal land, they are in, you know, they're, they're trying to, uh, make that legal scenario to where I can't do that. That's really unheard of. I mean, this is America. This is, you know, First Amendment rights and everything, but they're doing all they can within the community and within the government to make up legal new rules that stop this guy, Russ McKamey, from pursuing my hobby. When, when what really makes me upset is that they're spending all this time and energy on me when they have real issues, my friends, out there in that part of, of the county. They have a huge drug problem, a meth problem. They got, they got sexual offenders out there, a lot of them. They've got um, a lot of unsolved murders going on. They've got 15 people that just vanished. They have some real issues. And if you really are sincere about protecting kids, why not put your time and energy against all those meth labs about the sexual predators out there? About all the, you know, why don't you find, go out there and find those missing kids and the missing adults that just built, that just vanished where it's like, well, you don't know what happened to them. You know, why don't they spend their resources on that type of stuff, on something that's real and not trying to, you know, get a bake sale with the church to earn money to hire a lawyer to get little old Russ McKamey out of town, something that's entertainment, something that's not reality. Because, my friend, there is a lot of really sincere, uh, there's some really bad things going on out there. Some really ugly things to where it makes me want to, you know, vomit, and people are not up in arms about that type of thing, but they're up in arms about McKinney Manor and myself. That makes me sick to my stomach, and it makes Holly want to leave. Every day I have to try to convince her to, Hang around one more day. She wants the heck out of this place. She cannot believe that people are really like that, that they're that backwoods, that they would actually spend this much time and effort on something that's not real when you have kids getting hurt. I mean, like, I got a real problem with with the Child Protective Service of Tennessee. And it's not called CPS. It's called something else, but same thing. You know, these these folks are letting abused children go back to their families, the ones who are abusing them. And when I asked, how could you possibly do that? I asked the doctor, 
I asked some high people in uh, in leadership here. They said, well, we just feel that it's better that those kids are with their family. I'm saying the family is the one who's sexually abusing them. You're letting these people go back, letting these kids go back to these families? That is absolutely insane. And when I pushed the issue, they're like, well, there's really not much we can do. I said, of course there is. You take it to a higher level. You take it to the government. And these, this doctor I was talking to was like, well, you know, we see these cases all the time, but really all I can do is give it to the EPS. I go, that's crazy. Why would you not take it to another level? Well, that's just not our job. So that kind of mentality makes me stick to my stomach because there is nothing more important in my world than protecting children. And how about putting your resources of, you know, this town, stop against fighting me and other unrealistic things. Let's protect the children. How about that? And if you did that, things would be a thousand percent better for everybody. So, yeah, this whole thing makes me sick, my stomach. And, again, I'm having a hard time with Holly even here because she can't stand it because of that type of attitude. And I agree. You know, I agree. It's, it's disgusting and it's sick. And, you know, people can hate me all they want, but I will protect the children with all of my heart and soul. And all I ask is other people to protect the children as well. And I'm not seeing it. I'm not, you know, I know for a fact it's not as, it's not happening to the degree that it should be. And that, to me, is the biggest crime of all. Sorry about my rant there. I kind of got on my soapbox, but <laughs> I feel right. very strongly about the protection of children. And when I don't see that happening to the utmost, and when I see them spending resources by trying to get out and, and, and kick me out of town, who's... Uh, I'm a, I want the good guys, and that makes me sick that they're trying to do that. And, you know, just one final thing before I let you get in there and talk again. I'm sorry, but I would put up my resume as a person, as a, you know, I would put up my morals and values, and I'm not saying that Mr. Goody Good, but I would put up my resume about what I've done in this world. I've been on this earth for 58 years against all those haters any day of the week. Let's see if they can compete. Let's see if they're really walking the walk because I don't think they are. It's not what I've seen, and that makes me sick as well. You know, a lot of folks don't realize I was, again, military for 23 years. After that, I worked for as a veteran's advocate for disabled vets for 13 years. I took care of, of rescue animals. That's been my my passion is rescue rescue dogs. You know, I've never been drunk in my life. I've never had a cigarette. I've never had a cup of coffee. Never had a Red Bull. I don't cuss, you know, sometimes for the shows. But I'm one of the good guys. I'm not as straight laced as you're going to get. And these rascals are, are painting me out to be this crazy psychopath monster. And that turns my stomach as well. That's what I mean when I'll, 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 I'll put up my portfolio against theirs any day of the week, and let's see who comes up clean, because I have no skeletons in my closet. I'm a straight-laced, very conservative guy, and, you know, doing the kind of stuff that they're doing, all these church groups and other people that are so Christian, that just really upsets me a lot. Again, use that time and effort. Use that to protect children. Don't go on a false crusade against 
against an entertainer. That's just disgusting to me. Use what you've got. Use your fake sales. Use that money you're trying to get, get me out of town. And let's uh, let's help out some abused children. Let's do that. But they don't, though. So, yeah, again, sorry for ranting and raving, but uh, that really, really upsets me. That's okay. Let's let's talk a little bit about why you have so many haters. Uh, and some of it, obviously, is going to be misconception, which I'm sure you'll be uh, the first to step up and say that's the case. But let's cover a couple of things. Let's go back to the days of when this really became popular in San Diego and uh, and in later times. You've got a very long waiver that people have to sign. Uh, I've heard any, anything from, I guess it's probably evolved over time, but I've heard everything from 30 to 40 pages, three to four hours worth of sitting down face-to-face with you going over this waiver. Is that correct? That is absolutely correct. It's about 40 pages long, and you hit it on the nose, three or four hours to go through it. But, but there's a reason I do that. But, but go ahead and continue on, and we'll talk about that as well. Okay. Um, now, initially, and, I, and it's still the same, there was never any cost to enter. Uh, I know back in the San Diego days, you were asking for dog food donations. And then uh, I think in the newest haunt now, it's just pretty much um, – if somebody wants to offer uh, up a monetary donation, but they're not, you know, required to do so, but it's never been any actual cost to ever do the hunt. Um, and Correct. I think, I think that people feel like that it's a, a way to lure them in because there's no cost and they feel like that it's, um, and I'm just going off, not my personal feelings. It's not my belief, but people out there feel like that you're a sadist and you love the fact of being able to legally torture people and you use that waiver to be able to put that within your legal rights. There's horror stories out there, Russ, whether they're true or not true, the stories are out there of people saying, you know, they went through the haunt and they were choked unconscious. They've had broken noses and need reconstructive surgery. They've been, um, uh, you know, tortured beyond belief within the legal means with no legal recourse because they signed a waiver and they weren't fully told the honest truth of what was going to happen when they got in there. What is your response to that? Sure. All right. So first off, you got to think. Everybody, everybody right now needs to put on their little thinking caps and their logic cap. And this is because if... We've been doing this show for 60-odd years in the extreme method. People have to use their logic and think, why has there never been any legitimate lawsuits against, or any lawsuit, period, against Katie Manor? Why has there never been legal law enforcement issues within McKinney Manor? And if you're really logical, you're going to think, well, maybe there's more to the story than what the Internet has to say. Because, again, a logical person is going to understand that whether you sign a contract or not, if there is legitimate torture going on, if somebody is legitimately getting harmed, that is illegal. And I don't care where you're at in the world, law enforcement would come in and poop that person away and take them off to the little nearest jail in their area. But that's what people kind of forget about. Let's look at the reality of what it really is. 
if that was happening, I would not be allowed to run my shows ever. I'd be gone. I'd be locked up years and years ago. So we need to look at the reality and not what the internet has to say. And I really don't mind what the internet has to say. It just spins people up that much more and makes the banner that much more interesting. Now, let's look at this. Every single moment I have with a contestant, what do I do? Whether it be interviews or Skyping, we all know, or you should know by now, that I film every single interaction. Now, why do I do that? I do that to protect myself so if anybody ever comes back within a hysterical state and starts claiming these crazy things about McKinney Manor, I can come and say, well, let's look at the raw footage. Because, again, everything is on the table. There's nothing hidden. So let's look and see what really took place. Okay. And I've done that on numerous occasions where somebody has said that we've abused them, that they've been this, they've been that. And I'll come over, law enforcement will come visit me, and I'll say, here it is. Here's the actual five-hour, six-hour show. Knock yourself out. Look at it all you want. And every single time they've done that, they say, yep, nothing here, a big old nothing burger. Uh, that did not take place. So that's why I film every single time I have any kind of interaction at all with these individuals. And it seems funny to me, but they, like, forget that I have all this footage. The ones that claim these horrible things, they forget that it's all on film. And maybe maybe they don't realize it, or they just, in their state of mind, they're like, I don't care. We're going to go after this anyways. I'm mad. I didn't make it all the way. And whatever the case may be. But, again, putting on your, uh, on your logic caps, if there was something truly going on, you know that law enforcement would shut me down faster than you can blink an eye. Because they would love nothing more than that. I have been told that by numerous law enforcement officials, including the people out here in my county. It's been, it's with, it's with no hidden motives about what they take and what they feel about the manner. I have been told without a doubt. If anything is out of line, they will come and take me away, and they will throw me in jail and toss away that key. I have been, they have not mixed those bones whatsoever. So I know exactly where they stand. And that's why I do things legally, and that's why I'm smart about what I do, and I don't cross that line. Even though these crazy haters may think it's going on, Again, put your legal cap on, put that logic cap on, and clearly, if those things were happening, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you right now. And, you know, that's the biggest thing. The waiver itself, look, a waiver's a waiver. If a, truth, if a crime really happened with a waiver, between you and me, waiver doesn't mean daily squat. Um, if a crime really took place. But what the waiver does do is it shows that contested every single thing that could happen to them. I don't hide anything, and that's why it takes three to four hours to go through. They're going to read every single line out loud, going to be recorded, 
I'm going to tell them, I'm going to try to convince them for those four hours that they're with me that you really don't want to do this. I, you'll hear me say that until I'm blue in the face. Look, get on your bike, get in your car, get the heck out of Dodge, just turn around and call it a day. You really don't want to do this. And I'll say that over and over and over. And they're like, yeah, I do. Yes, I do. Yeah. You know, you've all heard it. We've all seen it. But... They're going to know every single activity. They're going to know every single stunt. They're going to know everything. That's why they don't come back and make a fuss, because they know that I know that they knew what was going on and that they agreed to every single line in that waiver. Now, nobody else does that type of precaution other than McKinney Manor. And nobody does such a, a background check and, and screening on people. You just don't walk into the Caney Manor. You gotta be selected. You gotta jump through a lot of hoops to get here. And again, put that logic cap on. So if I'm asking each person to get a letter from their doctor, a letter from a psychologist that states that they're physically and mentally cleared, Participate. I mean, first off, nobody in the world does that for any attraction. I don't care if it's a haunted house or skydiving. Nobody does that. Only in McKinney Manor. Why? Because I go way and above any kind of precaution just to protect them, to protect me. And so, besides the medical screening, the letter saying they're good to go, they have to have a background check. Who does that? Nobody. So I do a criminal background check to make sure that there's nothing fishy going on with that individual. And the kind of things I'm looking for are serious issues. You know, the kind of things that, uh, again, sexual assaults, that type of thing, you know, no flipping way for the person like that get anywhere near a Caney Manor. And... After that, they got to be screened by me, of course. And I got to, you know, go through that whole process to make sure they're the right kind of candidate for that. And then they have to prove they have health insurance just in case anything ever did happen. We want to make sure we can take them to the nearest, you know, ER and get them taken care of. Now, that's never happened, of course, but if it did, we want to make sure. We even do a drug screening on the day of the tour. We do a swab drug test to make sure they are totally clear, nothing in their system. And there's no other attraction in the world that makes people jump through those kind of hoops. And then, last but not least, they're going to sign that 40-page waiver of where truly, my friends, they really know what's going on. And, you know, some of that waiver is out on line that uh, Errol put out there just to be kind of mean and nasty. She threw that out there. It's an old waiver, but I leave it there because, yeah, go ahead and take a look at what's, what's some of what's in there. It's a lot longer than it is now, but you can see it's very detailed. But you can see that everybody is going to really have a good understanding of what that situation that they're getting into is. So nobody is being forced to come here. They jump through hoops. They pay a lot of money to get here. They buy their airline ticket. They get their hotels. They get their rental cars. This is something that these individuals really want to do. And they're not just people that were grabbing off the street. 
So this is a whole different kind of a breed of into you know of adrenaline junkies and thrill seekers. Not like you and me. I don't want to do this sport. I mean, I, I love building it, and I've tried out all the stunts. But medically, I would not meet the requirements. I've had brain surgery two times in the last six years. I got all these, you know, plates in my head. I've had a stroke. I've had seizures, all due to the brain surgery, where I, I can't get my head rattled about. But uh, so I wouldn't qualify medically. But you know, we also take all these safety precautions for people. We make them wear helmets. They're wearing their gloves. They're wearing knee pads, body armor. Whatever they want to do to make them feel safe and cozy, they can do. So we're going well and above the, you know, what we can do to help these folks out and to make sure that uh, everything is on the up and up. And I would challenge anybody out there to find any other establishment that goes to those links to actually keep their patrons safe. I tell you that nobody does that. And that's why we haven't had lawsuits. Because think about it. Those people who make those complaints against me, why are they not suing me? Again, a waiver doesn't do anything. Come on. We're all smart enough. We're going to use that, put our little caps on again. We're, we're, all, we're all smart enough to know that if somebody is really hurt, really injured, they can sue. They can, uh, you know, call the police. They can do all that stuff. So you got to ask yourself, why is that not happening? Because all that stuff, all that junk is not reality. But does it make interesting fodder, interesting read for the average folk? It does. But it also, you'd be so surprised how many people believe it, including people in high positions who believe what they read on the Internet, believe what they see. And that, to me, is the most mind-boggling thing of all, how educated people can actually get suckered in and and believe these crazy stories. I mean, like, we've all been told a million times, do you really believe everything you read? Do you really do that? And I guess they kind of do. You know, I've got, I got such a hassle out here. You know, they even canceled my, my homeowners insurance because I'm McKinney Manor. You know, who's been targeted like that? That's crazy. And then when I contacted all the other insurance companies in the town, they're like, nope, we're not talking to you. We're going to hang up, click, 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 click. So it's kind of like a, uh, I'm not going to be a conspiracist here, but these folks are talking to one another. And they're trying to make things as difficult as possible for me. But I'm not going to let them win. I'll get things figured out. You know, but if you've had that kind of situation going in your life, you probably wouldn't be too happy about it. And and let's not even, you know, count all the numerous death threats we've got. You know, would you like that if your family was threatened, your your house was, you know, threatened to be burned down? Southern justice, we're going to come up behind you and pop you in the head. You're not going to know. And again, these things started from the leadership of this county. These things started from the county commissioners who put out a big old Facebook page and other places about a community alert. A community alert is something that you do for, you know, convicted felons are coming and living in your neighborhood. They did a community alert against little old Russ in his make-believe haunted house to where 
They put out my phone number, my address. They put out directions of how to get to where I'm at. They put out messages like, you go see him. You tell him what you want. You get him out of town. Let's shut him down. You know, the pitchforks are burning. I mean, who does that? As far as I'm concerned, that's pretty illegal to put that target on my back. But that's what these folks have done, and they continue to do it. And what do I do in response? I'm like, you know what? All you haters, here's my phone number. Y'all y'all know my address. That was put out by your officials. Why don't you all come and see me? Why don't you come and visit old mean Russ, the big bad wolf, and let's have a conversation, let's talk, and let's find out what the reality of this really is. And none of them will talk to me. All these folks that make death threats against myself and Holly, none of them will come forth. And that just shows the kind of caliber, caliber of individuals that these people are. Because I invite them. And now, to be on the, uh, on, on the other side, I've had a lot of fans come to the house and say, hey, I just want to give you the support. Want to meet you, you know, and they take videos of me and they do interviews. You know, it's funny. The, the only reason why I was able to talk to the leadership, because I tried for, for the longest time, like all you folks out there who are saying all these horrible things about me, leadership-wise, why don't you talk to me and find out what really is happening? But they wouldn't. But it wasn't until I had two young kids, a couple of, I don't know, ninth graders, come out here and, and take a video interview of me and post it, and it went kind of viral, and... Then those those officials really got the heat. Like, are you guys kidding me? They're like, uh, so these two young kids go out there and talk to Russ. You guys can't even talk to them. That's pretty amazing. So it wasn't until that video came out that they decided, well, I guess we better talk to them a little bit, straighten this mess out. But you know, to me, that's the typical and epitome of an LIC. And an LIC stands for Low Information Crowd. And you know, don't be, don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. Um, I get a lot of private messages saying, Russ, you need to really watch out. You are making waves around here, and this is something that they don't put up with. We've had people disappear without a trace. We've had things just happen magically, and don't be shocked if you're one of those individuals. So all your listeners out there, don't be shocked if one day Russ is gone or Russ is dead. You know, it all sounds pretty crazy, but if you've seen the kind of death threats that I've received, you would go, holy shit, let me move. Let me get out of this place. But I'm the opposite. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to fight it. And I'm just going to do what I do. And if that happens in my world, so be it. If someone takes me out, so be it. But I just want all you fans out there to listen to that and be aware that this is real, people. This is not some made-up delusion I'm having here. This is how serious this can escalate to. And just think about it if you were in my shoes. What would you do? And so it's uh, it's fascinating. But the only good thing about being a semi-celebrity in the hot world is that if I do end up going missing... And I think they might think twice about doing something like that only because I am kind of well-known. I'm not just some guy off the street. But I could be totally wrong. They're like, they could be like, I don't care who he is. If they don't want me around, they don't want me around. So 
you know, it is scary, but, um, again, if you, if you've heard, seen the things that I've seen, threats against my family, myself and me, in the house in Holly and all that, you'd be, uh, you'd be concerning as well. I can promise you that. Well, let me, let me play devil's advocate with something. And, and sure. like I said, I don't condone any of that. I, I can't imagine anything that anybody's done that's, you know, short of, child molestation or something that would warrant anything like that. So, I mean, what what you're right. doing doesn't warrant anything like that. But I know some of the things, I mean, you paint the picture of you're an entertainer, you're giving the people what right. they want, which is fine. Let's go back to San Diego because we're going to get into your, your moves here in just a second. But let's go back to San sure. Diego. I think what a lot of people are are concerned and base their opinions are is during your time there, there was no safe word. It didn't matter, uh, from my understanding, you were the person who made the call when they were done. And there were several, uh, I've read somewhere how accurate it is. I'm not sure that, uh, over 20 different points during the hunt that were set up to physically and mentally break you down. Uh, and you were the one that decided you've had enough and it didn't depend on the person at all. And I think if that's accurate and only you can tell me that, that is right. where the people's opinion of this guy's a sadist and it's not entertainment when it starts becoming a, a legalized torture for his pleasure. And I think that's where most of the hate comes from. All right. So just address that. And again, we're, we're going to need to put our, put our logic caps on again here. Um, who makes the movies? I do. Who edits the films? I do. Who shoots the films? I do. So as a filmmaker, my job is to make it as scary as possible. My job is to make people spun up and freak the heck out. And I'm real good at doing that. Now, if I showed footage of us giving you a break and feeding you Gatorade and water and, and giving, uh, you know, making sure this and that is happening, would that be scary? Probably not. <laughs> so you got to understand that. Um, if you saw, and that's why, again, when law enforcement sees the raw footage, they're seeing things other than what you're seeing. Because if that was really happening, think about it. If, if that was, if I was really holding somebody against their will, honestly, then guess what would happen? I'd be in jail right now. So all those folks who are like using that as their, as their, as their pointer about all this, they need to go, but wait a second, if Russ was honestly torturing them in this in these breakers and refusing to let them go, holy crud, the police would be all over that. So that's the reality of it. That's law enforcement's job is to protect an individual. And I would expect that they would do that, and of course they would. So there's more to the story, obviously. And I'm glad that my films are effective enough to make you believe what you want to believe. That's awesome. There's also, again, things in the waiver that state that, do you want a safe phrase? No, I do not. Do you want to be pushed all the way until we decide that you've had enough? Yes, you are in control of this. And if you saw the waiver, you would see that time and time. Now, this is for San Diego. Time and time and time again, you're going to see us in there saying, you know, asking that question. When, when do you want us to stop? You want to stop when you say stop? Or do you want to be pushed and challenged 
and work out those fears, what do you want to do? And 100% of them all said the same thing. And again, they know we have it in writing and on film. Russ, you continue with what you're doing. I'm here to be pushed and challenged. Do not just let me quit because I know I will. I'll get scared and I'm going to want out of there. I'm not flying all the way from Kuwait for you to say, all right, you're done, you're out of here. Now, in saying that, why hasn't anybody ever been injured? Because if I was truly holding people to such a degree back in San Diego, there would have been so many injuries, near deaths, there would have been so much, so many problems going on there that, again, I'd be locked away if those things were truly happening. So, again, logic dictates that, well, what is reality? Is it? Is there misinformation being put out? Maybe on purpose? Maybe. Is there a lot of spin happening here to get people talking and agitated? Maybe. You know, is there a certain way that we're making the films to, to really bring out the terror and look a certain way? Yeah, possibly. But again, the logic is, if it wasn't that, and if things were, really were that severe in San Diego, I would be locked up right now, and so would everybody else, because a waiver is not going to keep illegal activities from the police. And that's not going to protect me in the court of law, illegal activities. It's not going to happen. So people need to understand that I'm in control of the spin and how they see things, and I find it really amusing. I sit back and kind of giggle at myself at how many people fall for some of the tricks and misinformation that may get leaked out, and how will it go, where will it be leaked to, how far, you know, the newspapers get it, media gets it, and I'm kind of, I got to sit and giggle and go, wow, they're pretty gullible. They are actually... Uh, this is pretty amusing to see me kind of like as a puppet master with some people that you think would have enough knowledge and enough education behind them to get what I'm doing. I would like everybody in your audience to look up a guy named William Castle. William Castle. He was a director and a producer of films and attractions back in the 50s and 60s. Great guy. And I kind of based myself off of William Castle. There's even a really good documentary for your fans to look up. If you had, if you're a fan of horror, look this, look this documentary up. It's called the, it's called the Spine Tingler. And what William Castle did is he was the master of spin in a low budget way. He was like a low budget Alfred Hitchcock. And he did like, some of your fans will be, he did the original House on Haunted Hill with Vincent Price. He did The Tingler. He did, uh, he actually did Rosemary's Baby. That was going to be his big leap into the A titles. But the, he uh, was taken off the director status and it went to somebody else. But um, he did a lot of those types of films. But he did them in such a way, Seven Ghosts and whatever, uh, he did them in such a way that he would do a lot of audience participation within the actual theater, like he put buzzers under the seat of the theaters, so when the, the theater went dark, 
and this so-called Tingler, which is was this wormy-looking device, came out and so-called escaped in the theater. The seats would be buzzing and going off, and people would think that the Tingler is right there. Now, did they really think that? Probably not, but it was the illusion of it all. And that's what he would do in, in all these theaters. And it was, it was so inventive that nobody else has really done it since. And it's fascinating. And that's kind of what I do, but in a social media environment. So, you know, again, if people can think all the crazy, but you have to, again, put logic into it and think if any of that was really true, I would be in jail. I would be arrested, and I'm not, and I haven't been, and that's kind of, you know, kind of where that stands. Let me let me ask you about one. I won't even say it's a rumor because I don't know if it's a rumor or fact. Uh, so you can clear this up. People say, well, he's not charging anything to get into this place. He's got to have oh, something. Right. Okay. He's got to have something to gain from it. So what I've heard on a couple of different aspects is that there is a live feed going to Vegas and some kind of illegal gambling or something of that nature. Is there any truth to that at all? Not out here. There is no live feed in Gold, Tennessee. Um, I can tell you that I don't want to get too deep into it, but I can tell you again on the legalities of it, if I was accepting any money from any kind of gambling source, being in California, I would be arrested in two seconds. That is absolutely illegal. And anybody, the authorities I'm talking about, because I'll be, I'll be an open book. I've got, a, you know, FBI has a folder on me, the IRS, I've heard stories about the IRS, local police, everybody has got a file on good old McKinney Manor because they're like, oh my God, something's got to be going on there. So they looked into all that as well. And if there was anything illegal happening, then I would uh, be paying the price for that because that is a total, big-time illegal operation if I was gaining you know, money from any kind of, of wagers. is not going to happen. So when people say, well, why is he doing it? I mean, he's got to be a psycho to be doing this because I have spent nearly a million dollars of my own money on building this, the world's most extreme attraction. It's like, why would he do that? That makes no sense. And if you sit back and look at it, you're right. That makes absolutely zero sense unless this happens to be somebody's passion. And their passion is to build, to design, to put together a show, to entertain, to act. And then someone might go, oh, I get it. So it really isn't about the money. Wow. I mean, they're thinking, well, I'm not that way. I wouldn't do this without making money on it. But there's but there's a small core of people out there who are that committed to their passion that money isn't an option. For example, I've been offered countless television shows, everything from, from NBC to Sci-Fi Channel to Universal Studios. I've been offered a legit weekly television series where I could make a ton of money. Now, I've turned them all down. And why is that? They're like, yeah, but Russ, you can, we're offering you this and that. You can become a millionaire. Okay, but I've said no. Why have I said no? Because the magic is more important to me than making money. I've never been about making money. 
I'm about keeping the illusion alive. All these shows that wanted to do, you know, these weekly reality shows with me, that would have ruined the magic. That would have been, they would have been a behind-the-scenes type of a show. And all the nonsense would have been, you know, revealed. And all the mystery, they would go, oh, well, is that it? Is that how he does it? Well, well, that's not scary. So for me, it's not worth it. I would rather keep the world, and it literally is the world, spun up, questioning me, all upset, all irate. That is more entertaining to me than all the money in the world. To be able to sit back and, again, be that little puppet master and watch everybody else just lose their mind over what I'm doing is extremely entertaining because it's really something to be able to take a mom-and-pop little operation like what I have and design these rooms, design the entire show, and make it actually work. And work to such a degree that the whole world is talking about it. And that I have a legacy set in stone that is going to be here long after I'm dead and gone. People are still going to be talking about that urban legend, the Caney Manor. Was that really true? Did that really go on? Did people really win a thousand dollars if they completed it? Was this, was that? And that's awesome to think that I've created something that people are still going to be talking about, you know, again, long after I'm buried in the ground or hopefully put me in some, uh, pot in hell someplace and I'll just be kind of sitting there waving at people. So that's a really cool thing to say that I've accomplished that. I'm real proud of that. I'm really proud that I have built something that will test, test time. Now, on the, on the same hand, I'm the dumbest, the absolute dumbest businessman in the world <laughs> because I've spent all this money and I've never made a penny. How stupid is that? So you've got to be either really dumb or you have to be really passionate about, about your craft and the passion comes first before any kind of financial gain. And... Uh, you know, all you folks listening right now, what would you have done? Would you have taken a million dollars to do a show? Or would you have stuck to your, your guns to say, you know what? It's not about the money. Yeah, I'm broke. Yeah, I'm moving a trailer. Yeah, I got bills. But I'm not going to sell out. Instead of selling out, I'm going to stay true to who I really am. So all those folks out there listening and judging me, you know, what would you have done? Because I already know my answer. I've already done it time and time again, and I'll continue to do that. I am I am loyal to what I am. I am loyal to the haunt, and I'm not going to be a sellout. So people can call that stupid, but, you know, I look at myself every day in the mirror, and I know what kind of guy I am. I know that I'm doing the right thing, and I know that I've got good morals and values, and I don't have a skeleton in my closet, and I don't have arrest records, and I know I'm not a boozer or a druggie or whatever. You know, I know these things. I know I help people. I help children. I help veterans. I know what I've done in my life. So I'm real proud of the things I accomplished, and, uh, and it's going to stay that way. So money is not an option for me. be nice to have it. You know, I, you know, I live on $800 a month. That's all I get. 
800 bucks a month. That comes from my military pension. That is it. How many of these listeners out there would be so, you know, passionate about what they're doing that they're going, you know what? I'll live on 800 bucks. Don't give me that million dollar contract for a TV show. Nope. I'll live on 800 bucks, barely get by because I believe that much in what I'm doing and I think it's the right thing to do. Well, you're looking at one guy who lives it, eats it, breathes it, and, and I'm the real deal. And that's kind of where I stand there. Well, Russ, you, you, you closed down the San Diego location. And you move it, mm-hmm. uh, to Illinois. Is that the, was that the next location, the Illinois location? No, I was still in San, I was still in San Diego, but, uh, I was offered a, a hot, a building in the Plainsboro, Illinois, and they're just as crazy out there as they are out here. I am not trying to, you know, box anybody in, but holy crud, um, you know, again, when you've seen the things I've seen, there's some serious, uh, serious issues going on. So I was offered a location out there. I moved just one load of stuff out there, and the town went ballistic, just like they do here. They shot out the building. They shot out the windows. We had news choppers flying 24-7. You would think that there was an escaped convict in the area. <laughs> uh, they, were, they were praying out in front of the building, you know, get Russ out of here on their hands and knees. This to me is just insanity. They were, they were slashing tires. They were vandalizing vehicles. And I'm like, you know what? This place is not anywhere I want to be. Now luckily, I didn't buy any property and I was able to, you know, mosey on out of there. Now, what the woman that, that gave us the, gave us the building to use, what she did do was really crappy. She, uh, she wouldn't give me back my equipment, and then she sued me for $10,000 saying that she wanted rent and all this, and, you know, it was there for like three months to, the, the, in, one, in one, one little room, one little room. And so she took me a small claims court. It cost me an arm and a flipping leg. I had to drive out there like six times because every time I drove out there to go to court, halfway through my drive, She'd come up with some reason why she can't show up. It was a big old scam, a big old scam, just to try to get money from me. When finally I got there, $10,000 later of spending my own money and a lawyer, the judge threw the whole thing out in less than 30 seconds. I didn't have to say a word. My lawyer didn't have to say a word. The judge looked at this and said, this is ridiculous. This is a nothing lawsuit. You're just trying to scam this guy. And it was like, that's it. So that's my one lawsuit right there, if you want to call that a lawsuit. And um, so that was my first installment with the Midwest. And, um, you know, sorry to say, it's it's a lot of that is out here as well. And it's disappointing because you think people are going to be a little bit more on the ball than that. And not trying to pigeonhole people, but, man, some of the... Some of the little things that you, you know, the cliches you hear about these kind of locations, unfortunately, it's coming true, and that's uh, and that's frightening. So that was the first one, and then we've been shut down in New York City, but we had a couple shows out there lined up with Dystopia, and they shut us down because, again, the county commissioner saw my movies, and based upon my movies, they said, 
Bikini Manor is not coming here. And then there was Arizona. And Arizona was the same scenario where um, the, the city got a hold of the films and said, without a game, without ever stepping foot in the haunt, without seeing what we designed, without ever walking through it, they based all this bigotry on my films and films only and what they've read. And I, I, I heard it all. Well, I heard it's this. Well, I heard it's that. And that's that alone makes people in authority, you know, we're talking county commissioners and city officials go, no way, that won't be allowed here without, again, without even stepping into the attraction to see what it really is. To me, that is the epitome of a low-information person, an LIC. And we come up with that time and time again, and it's it's no different here. I've got a woman across the street from me who, who's uh, filed a legal petition against me claiming that we have chainsaws running at all hours of the night, hearing people screaming at 2 o'clock in the morning that... Uh, they, they're, they're being, people are being, a woman is being dragged with a chain tied around her neck by a vehicle. That people are being abducted and taken into the house for who knows what reason. That, uh, that clowns, that, that we're dressing up as clowns and going to their property all hours of night and banging on the door. Uh, what else? That we're a business, a business, a business, and we're not a business. And then the best one of all was two good ones that were torture factory. I mean, it doesn't just state that, you know, is this, is this stuff going on? It states in this legal 10 page letter that you are a torture factory. This is what is happening. This is a fact. And the biggest fact that they try to put out there on paper is that you are killing people. Okay. How do you deal with a lawyer deal with a professional who says you're killing people and have it in writing. This is the type of LIC stuff that I have to go through on a daily basis. It makes my head explode. Again, when they never even step foot and say, hey, neighbor, my name is so-and-so. What's, can we talk about this? What's really going on? Can you show me around? Uh, of course, they've never stepped a foot over here, and they, I've given my phone number, I've had media go over there to try to talk with them, I was told not to, because I might get shot, literally, and, but, but how do you deal with that kind of mentality? You know, my little brain can't wrap around it, and uh, again, I'm making a lot of enemies, but I'm telling you the honest to God's truth, this is how it is. And maybe some of your listeners are going, damn right, that's the way it should be. Southern justice, yeah, yeah, go get them there. But, you know, my brain doesn't work that way. And I'm all about talking to people, finding out reality, finding out what people are really about, judging people based upon their actions, not because of their race or their hobby or anything else, based upon their actual behavior. And for... This type of thing, all these hidden secret things going on around here, secret meetings, you know, trying to have cake sales to, to get money enough to hire a lawyer. I mean, this stuff is just something out of, like, the movie Footloose. That's what it feels like. It feels like the movie Footloose, 
but for but for a haunter, it's just oh my god, it makes me crazy. All right, I'm I'm, I'm done with rant number three. Go ahead. <laughs> I know I know you didn't just compare yourself to Kevin Bacon, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> hey man, you haven't seen me dance, and I tell you what. And I've got a new movie being released here. This is my first movie in nine months. And it's going to make people's heads explode again. But I want you to watch it. I'll probably release it tonight. And my YouTube channel, for all you YouTubers out there, it's McKinney Manor Presents. McKinney Manor Presents. If you just type in McKinney Manor, you go to my old YouTube channel, which has been hacked. By the haters, so the haters have taken over all of my content, all of my films. They're making money on things that I have done. And again, I wonder how the the listeners would feel if that happened to them, if money was being stolen from them every single day. They'd probably go, this ain't right. But, uh, you know, I just have to let it roll because YouTube doesn't do anything about that type of thing. So, if you go to McKinney Manor, that is the wrong YouTube channel. That's the one with like 40 million views. You're not going to see new content. And and they've edited down my movies, and they've taken sound out, and they've destroyed a lot of things on that channel. Just like they've taken my social media sites. They've, they've hacked into my website and tore it down numerous times, Facebook pages. They've, they've uh, gone into my personal and... By the Kitty Manor talk pages, they totally destroyed those, deleted 5,000 friends of mine, you know, everything. And this is the kind of stuff they continually do. And again, I wonder how the listeners would feel if you had to put up with all this nonsense. But, you know, welcome to my world. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's do this. Let's finish up on talking about the new haunt in Tennessee. Now, first and Mm -hmm. foremost, I want to say that, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, all of your previous haunts up to now, San Diego and all, nobody ever made it through the full experience. Am I correct on that? That's correct. And now Tennessee, you've actually changed stuff up a little bit, and it's actually instead of an eight-hour, up to an eight-hour event, it's actually three separate events that can be uh, multiple hours. So tell me a little bit about what, what we're doing in Tennessee and what's different now. Sure. All right. I'm really loving this new Tennessee show. Um, even though the police get called every time and they're like, Hey, okay. Hi, I had to come out and see you. Okay, good. But, uh, uh, I'm, I'm having a good time because I would say this show, this, um, interpretation of the manner is the easiest version of all of them. It's so much so that it actually lowered age requirement. It's, if you're, you can come in if you're 18 to 20, but you just have to have parental consent. So your parents have to stay on the video. Yeah, I know Johnny is going into the game manner. I know that his hair may get cut. Yeah, 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 I understand all that. It's fine. Go have fun, Johnny. You know, so we've actually lowered the uh, the age requirements. So the way it works in good old Tennessee is that actually it was three locations. Now it's two. <laughs> and um, I've kind of broke ties with the other haunt I was working with. And so now I'm just strictly doing McKinney Manor and not really working with the other haunt. The other haunt actually was going a little bit too extreme for my take. So we're going to kind of cool engines there. I like the guys. I like everybody, but they are pretty... Uh, they're, they're trying to play catch-up in the extreme world, and sometimes you can go overboard. And 
I don't want to be really involved with the crazy, crazy anymore. So the way it works out is you have to spend three, four hours at Holly's Playhouse. You have to spend time with the beautiful, lovely Holly, a little five-foot-tall, very athletic woman. I won't even be involved with this. You're going to spend time with Holly, and you're going to go through some very mental and very physical demanding challenges that Holly puts you through. And you have to be able to keep up with this little five-foot dynamo. If you cannot keep up with her and mimic what she's doing and continue with the task that she's just doing right along with you, then you're going to start losing money. Because, yes, folks, there is a payday now at the end of the new McKinney Manor. If you complete Zones 1 and Zones 2, you can earn up to $1,000 of my own money that I don't have. I'll get it for you, but it's in the contract. I'll pay you 1000 big ones if you complete now, what other haunt in the world has ever offered that? Nobody. There's been urban legends about that, about the house, the haunt that gives you your money back. Hell, I don't charge you to get in to begin with. And I'm offering you $1,000 if you can complete it. But nobody, and I repeat, nobody has completed the playhouse yet. Little poor little Holly. Just look her up. Go to my website and look up Holly's Playhouse. See what she looks like. This is the woman and that, that woman only that you'll be dealing with for three or four hours. So if you can't handle being with her in her world for that amount of time, I can promise you there's no way, there's no way you'll ever succeed Zone 2. So what this is, it's a very fun adventure. Um, it's very, again, mental, very physical, but it's, it's a blast. This one is absolutely a blast. Nobody's going to be beating you up. No one's going to be roughing you up. No one's going to be tossing you around. Nope. You're going to be doing everything all on your own. Everything that happened to you, you were doing it and under Holly's instruction. And so it's a different kind of event. It's going to happen in the broad daylight. It's going to take place on a Saturday morning. Bird singing. Beautiful sunshine, woo it's, it's gorgeous. You're be, how scary can it be on a beautiful Saturday afternoon or morning? But something, something is making these people quit. Something is making these people give up. Something is making these people cry and panic. What is it? Well, I guess you need to find out for yourself and come out here and see what the magic of Holly's Playhouse is all about. It sounds fun, and it is fun, but nobody has completed it. The longest anyone's been through in Holly's Playhouse is two hours. That's it. And, for, and generally, it's more like around a few minutes, and then they go into panic mode, and they're done. But again, we're not laying a hand on you. We're not doing anything. You're going to walk through this thing yourself. It's total control. You have got control. You've got a safe phrase. So anytime you want out, all you got to do is say your safe phrase. The show stops automatically, and we send you on your way. 
So I don't understand why people quit. Because, again, put your, put your reality boots on again, put your logic caps on, you know you're not going to die. You absolutely know no one's going to get killed there. You know that. So why do you have to break down and quit? That's a pretty fascinating thing that only the people that come here will figure out why that is. And I love it. Now, let's say somebody does actually get through Ollie's Playhouse. I will then personally drive them into Huntsville, Alabama. And that's when you're going to go to the big show. It's going to be you and me on a one-on-one basis. I don't have to have a bunch of actors talking mean and yelling at you don't need that. Trust me, I don't need that. All I need is me. And I will absolutely get inside your head, and I will make you believe things that you can't believe. I will make you think things are happening that will absolutely make you lose your flipping mind. I have skills that you all don't know about until you come and see me. There's a reason why me and me alone is all it takes to make you cry like a little baby. There's a reason. And, again, I'm not laying a hand on you. I will never even touch you. But you will. You will be under my control. You will uh, find out why it's so scary. And uh, you, at that point in time, you're going to go, you know what, this is way beyond... My mental capability. I don't want to be here. My mind, I feel like I'm losing my mind here. And, you know, that's what it's all about. How much can I do to you? That sounds horrible. But what kind of show can I show you? What kind of presentation can I show you that will be so frightening that you feel like you're going to lose your flipping mind? There's something going on, isn't there? Of course there is. But what could it be? What could it be? I'm not hitting you. I'm not, you know, we're not physically doing anything to you. But what in the world is it that's making grown men cry and fall to their knees? What is it? I don't know. So I guess you need to come and find out. So it's a very mental tour. Not recommended for the weak-minded, I can promise you that. And uh, if you've got a strong mental ability, then you'll do well. Physicality, uh, you'll do fine. Anybody who's halfway physical can get through it. That's not the point. But I will get inside your head more than you think is possible. I've got certain skills that a lot of you guys know about. I think most people know that I'm a hypnotist. I think you all know that I'm a trained stage hypnotist. And I use that to my advantage. And you will sign up for that. So if there's a point in time when you think you're being attacked by a Tyrannosaurus Rex, yeah, you're going to feel like you're being eaten by a T-Rex. Is it really happening? Nope. But in your mind it is. So you better have strong willpower. Because I promise you, I'm very good at what I do. And again, nobody does that type of scenario in, in an attraction. Is it illegal? Of course it is. You are signing up. You know that I am going to attempt to hypnotize you sometime during your time in the manor. We all know that. That's not, a, that's, not a, that's not a story anymore. We all know that. Now, let's see who's mentally strong enough to challenge me. 
But so far, I haven't had any, any takers that have given me much of a much of a challenge. So, if your folks are out there listening, like, no, that's BS. He's talking crud. Then I challenge those people. Those are the ones I want. I want those big tough guys who think, oh man, he Russ is just full of crud. I want those guys to go on thecaningmanner.com. I want them to send me uh, a, a contact form at the contact page and say, you know what? Russ, I think you're full of it. I challenge you. Let's see. Bring, bring it on. Show me what you've got. That's who I want. And um, I hope that some of your audience uh, takes me up on it. Remember, guys, you're not going to die. It's not going to cost you any money. It's all smoke and mirrors. It's all fun and games. So what do you have to worry about? <laughs> That's how I look at it. Ladies and gentlemen. The master, Russ McCamey. Russ, I can't thank you enough for coming on, buddy. This is, uh, it's been a big thrill for me. I know my audience is going to absolutely love it. And, uh, I, I hope a lot of them do take you up on it. I, at one time, I know you had, uh, 27,000 people on the waiting list. What's that thing looking like now? Yeah, that was several years ago for the San Diego location, but it got, it got so out of control that I wasn't even able to control it at all. I mean, it got so, so out of hand. It's just insane. I mean, even now on the on the website, I get a couple hundred requests a day for information to go through it. I, I have a hard time keeping up with it. But what I'm doing now is just first come, first serve. You know, I tell people, get your medical letter, standing here mentally and physically clear, and then let's talk. And then I'll try to get you in during the week or whatever. You know, like all of our clubbers already booked. But I will try to squeeze you in somehow. But you've got to be serious. You've got to be a clean guy. I don't want, you know, no drinkers, man. No one doing drugs. Nobody doing, I can't, I don't want that type of person. I want a person who's like super solid, super you know, great attitude, understands reality, understands what's make-believe and what's not. I need people to have a good grasp of this. So if you've got those kind of skills, and you are an adrenaline junkie and a thrill seeker, then you need to look me up because I will show you, I'll give you a ride that your mind will not be able to wrap around. That I'll promise you. I can deliver on everything that I talk about. Just watch the movie that's out there right now. Watch the new Extinction movie that's going to come out in the next day or so, probably tonight. And you're going to see me single-handedly uh, destroy somebody by just, you know, doing what I do. And, but it's in a, it's, it's formatted in a nice music video. I'll be singing my nice little song. I mean, how wonderful is that? Come on now. So, you know, uh, take the challenge, guys. Come look, look me up and let's get some real contestants coming through. Let's get some real quality individuals coming through. I would appreciate that. Russ, I can't thank you enough for coming on, buddy, and, and good luck in the new haunt down there in Tennessee and Alabama. All right, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, pal. It ain't no problem, brother. Anytime. All right, buddy. Thank you. All right. So now after listening to that, there is no doubt at all that you will dispute that Russ McCamey is a very unique individual. Yes. But he's got a great imagination. He does. And he does have, uh, he's definitely got some things that he doesn't mind taking a stand against. No, such as, of course uh, not. Uh, abuse of children, children which of can't, can't argue with that. No. At all. Um, 
I like how we have these guests that use the platform to be able to just speak out against whatever mm-hmm. their personal mm-hmm. uh, passions are. Yeah. I know Andrea did that when she was on the show about drug abuse right. and, and these doctors uh, prescribing drugs haphazardly. And then mm-hmm. uh, Russ had this. And, you know, we don't mind that at all. I no. mean, if, if they're, they're both very good messages to get out. So that's pretty much it for this week. Um, as a reminder, once again, next weekend, we will be at Scarefest in Lexington. So if you're anywhere near the area, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we will be there and having a good time. We'll be um, enjoying ourselves a little bit on vacation uh, prior to that in uh, Gatlinburg for a little bit. We'll go see, uh, anxious to see how much damage is there from the fires that we talked about and if any, how much is uh, that we remember is gone and how much has been rebuilt already. So, Yeah. Sad that that really happened. That was a heartbreaker. But hopefully they've rebuilt some things and, you know, people just keep going. So that's the main thing. Thank you guys so much. We love you. 